obsessed. So much has happened this week in sport and beyond. I feel like we're now just functioning in a perpetual state of flexibility and fluidity, and we're often making game time decisions for any and all events in our lives. It's hard to feel like we have consistency, clarity, or control over anything during this pandemic. Some recent news here. One, Disney World reopened this weekend despite Florida becoming the new center of contagion for the states. And two, the Ivy League has shut down all sports this season until at least January 1st. Stanford cut 11 varsity sports from the school's athletic program for 2021. And the Big Ten Conference, which is the oldest collegiate athletic conference at the highest level here in the States, their fall sports teams will only play within their conference. It's so rough to have your season cut short and as a college athlete, only to find out later you won't even be competing anymore. I know so many students just want the opportunity to pursue their athletic goals here and abroad. I can't even imagine being a student right now and trying to figure out how your learning and classes will be structured going forward. For all Americans and international students that didn't get to have their graduations, post-grad send-offs, or final quintessential high school or collegiate experiences, my heart goes out to you. And how are you guys feeling about the week? And Victorians in Australia especially, this is your weekly check-in to see how you're hanging. I'm here for you. My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter if you want to drop me a line or share any thoughts. As for the AFL playbill, there has been a lot of talk about potentially cramming as many games as possible before teams return to Melbourne after round 12. So clubs could effectively be playing five games over four weeks by throwing in an extra midweek round for every team. And another option discussed has been to play as many games as possible, with some teams playing extra matches. So the reason being that if the Victorian teams played extra games, they could maybe have a bye while all the other teams catch up. And this makes me worry just about soft tissue injuries and whether or not the players will have enough recovery time between matches. I feel like we're all just bracing ourselves for the round date schedule that will be released today, and I wonder how the fixture will look beyond that. But let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where NYC is now. So COVID cases continue to keep hitting all-time highs here in the U.S., and the numbers are staggering. Basically, the kind of stats you don't want to be record-breaking So we had over 70,000 confirmed cases in a single day on Friday, and we're now at 3.3 million plus confirmed cases overall to date. At the same time as all of that, for the first time since March 11th, New York City had zero coronavirus deaths on Saturday, July 11th. So it's extraordinary to think about where we were as a city and how different things are now as I look at all of the other states surrounding us and how the rest of the nation is faring. But continuing with New York, the Lincoln Center, Met Opera, New York City Ballet, and Carnegie Hall have all canceled their fall seasons. 
But as far as getting things closer to feeling like normal, the High Line, which is one of my favorite public parks here, it's about 1.45 miles long, which is 2.33 kilometers. That will reopen on July 16th. And the Bronx Zoo, Central Park Zoo, and others will reopen on July 20th, and the Met Museum plans to reopen on August 29th. So it's been a very different city since March, as I've said, but New York is resilient, and it looks like we're trending towards a different space than we've been in the last few months. And now on to Act 1 with the game wrap-up for Round 6. So Geelong versus Brisbane, which happened early Thursday morning here, the first half was pretty even with Geelong trailing by 10 points at halftime. They came back into the third quarter and kicked seven goals. It was funny, everything was going as expected for me and I literally cut away for a second to make some breakfast and all of a sudden when I came back, Geelong was on top and ran away with the scoreboard to win by 27 points. And Gary Rowan had some interesting karate chops and other incidents through that game. As for the Collingwood versus Hawthorne game, which happened early Friday morning, Will Kelly had his first kick and first goal, which now I think makes him part of an exclusive club. I know Mason Cox had that also for his debut, and Will Kelly's father actually kicked two goals on debut, so I feel like there was some pressure there. But the Pies pressure early on translated into total dominance the entire game, and they kept the Hawks to just 14 points entering the final quarter and ultimately won by 32. So it was a good win over the Hawks considering their history of matchups. For the Fremantle versus St. Kilda game, which in my opinion was the best game of the round, Frio started it off the way you never want to, kicking it the wrong way from the opening bounce. I was literally cringing thinking of primetime footy and how Americans were watching that, and it looked pretty bad for them with two men out early on, so they were down early, and then Lobby started limping, and it just seemed like they had no defense, and they were 37 points back. But Frio hung in there and changed the game by fighting back with eight straight goals, and it was such a beautiful underdog game. and it's literally being hailed as the comeback of the year. But the Saints came back and tied the scores, so it was literally a nail-biter until the last second, and they won by a goal. So I'm really proud of Frio for that. Congrats. And here's my weekly shout-out in appreciation to Nat Fife for holding it down for his team. For the West Coast versus Adelaide game, West Coast rounded out their Queensland hub with another win over poor Adelaide. Back in episode 7, when I made my ladder predictions, I said that I thought the Crows were still on the struggle bus, and you gotta wonder if they'll win any games this season, since they're only averaging around 5 goals a game. But my favorite quote from the commentators during this was, more palms in Florida when going for a ball, and the Nick Nat and Riley O'Brien cell phone incident is going straight straight to peer class. So West Coast took this game by 33 points. For the Melbourne versus Gold Coast game, this was also a very exciting one and close right up until the last five minutes. And the Suns just have so much heart and I have so much hope for them. Rankin had such a memorable debut with the most amazing first two goals. And that goes right up there with the best anybody has had in a debut. He got three overall, but the scores were tied in the last quarter with 62 points apiece. And the Ds edged out the comp in the last couple of minutes to win by 17 points. So the Suns are still the team to watch with Rankin, who's just another superstar in the making. And finally, in the Essendon versus North Melbourne game, 
Okay, so the ground was torn up by the time this game went down, and you gotta worry about Stringer not being there because he does make such a difference, but the team really worked so well together, and Zaharakis did his part for the Bombers while Zerha was bringing all the pressure against their defense. So McGraw, Laverty, and Langford were standouts, but I just have to shine a light on the future superstars Ridley and Hammy. Essendon was lucky to cop no injuries during that game, but they won by 14 and climbed into the top four. And my favorite moment from that game was Walla's over-the-shoulder blind handball. <laughs> but what were your most memorable moments from round six? And what are you still thinking about from the weekend? I'd love to know your thoughts. AFLFootyObsessed at Gmail and AFLObsessed on Twitter. Okay, so it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. So baseball schedule is out and will start next week on the 23rd, and the NBA schedule is also out, so basketball is back the following week on the 30th. And also, one of our baseball teams is up for sale. So the Mets is going up for auction again after a pretty colorful history of ownership, with a first round of bidding having concluded this week. So some deals have fallen through, but it's just a funny thing that such a New York institution is up for grabs. But now we're on to Act 2, where I do a deep dive into a footy club, footy discussions, or just an element of footy history. I just wanted to take a step back in follow-up and talk about mental health, especially after the article I mentioned last week involving the Adelaide Crows and their preseason camp. So there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of years about mental health and protecting our players when it comes to issues involving this, which I think is a great stance and also the right thing. Kind of like when you treat your employees really well, they'll want to stay with you and your company. So studies have shown that elite athletes like those competing in the AFL are at a higher risk of developing mental health disorders such as depression, anxiety, and social anxiety. So my personal question is, beyond saying that we value this, when it comes to present day circumstances, are fans really happy for the players and are they comfortable with the players when they exhibit or demonstrate a need to step back or take some time away to focus on their mental health or even just express challenges that they're having? For example, social media lit up. I feel judging Jack Revolt when he questioned whether he made the right decision to join his team in the hub, and he admitted that he bawled like a baby. And I feel like the general consensus with what I like to call the armchair warriors of Twitter was people saying, just do your job, like you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. And maybe it's just me with the pandemic, but I feel like the armchair warriors hiding behind their screens seem to be more emboldened, maybe even more so now, maybe because they have the time. But I feel like especially with that article I just discussed last week, I mean, Tex Walker has been somewhat abandoned after everything he's gone through with his club. And there have been players previously that have just quit outright due to mental health issues like Tom Boyd. So I guess the overarching message is that no one really knows what everyone's personal circumstances are, and a player might not play well for a couple of weeks, not necessarily due to a physical injury, but there might be something we don't have visibility on that's going on with their mental headspace. So next time you're criticizing a player, just remember this, and it's something I have to remember too. And now for the curtain call and the spotlight segment. I just want to throw some beams on Sam Mostyn. 
So Sam Mostyn was the first woman appointed to the AFL commission in 2005. She served for 11 years in the role where she was a strong advocate for indigenous programs, as well as being a driving force in the development of a national women's league. And she also worked to implement the AFL's respect and responsibility policies. She was also an advocate for the inclusion of women at all levels of the AFL. And after being such a pioneering administrator, she joined the Swans Board in 2017. So Sam Austin is a businesswoman and sustainability advisor with a long history of executive and governance roles across business, sport, climate change, the arts, and policy. And here are some of her words about serving on the commission. Treatment of women, has it, is, it, is it better or worse than it was when you joined? Um, I think it's better, mm. um, and I'm privileged to be in a position where alongside the other woman commissioner, um, Linda Desso, we're able to um, help the debate internally in the, inside the organisation, um, but also observe what's happened with the rollout of the respect and responsibility policies and training right across the club system mm. and right across community football, um, mm. right across the country. And I, I think there has been a distinct change um, across the league. And the fact that it goes as deep as community and local footy mm. gives me great mm. heart that this is a, a consistent set of principles that the league is very keen to pursue and, and must pursue. Half the, uh, the, half the um, audience for football in Australia are women. And there's no getting around that fact. And, um, and, and we've got to be as attractive a game for women as men. And I think we do well. We can always do better. And mm. there's an acknowledgement, I think, by the players and by the clubs mm. um, that we have to do better. So to Sam Austin, we say encore. Continue to break not legs, but ground in the sport and country. And now we're at the after show. So some of my last thoughts before closing, I'm planning to bring back the time on minisodes in the next few weeks. If you'd like to be a part of the next series, if you haven't heard them, they're just your stories in your own words. And I've released three of them. I'll post them again on Twitter if you'd like links. And you can send me your story through email or Twitter. Just include your name and the city you live in. And up to a minute is great if you'd like to send a recording or voice note from your phone. So that's it for me. Thanks for hanging around for the show. I'd love it if you'd leave a review and share AFL Obsessed with someone you think might like it too. But stay safe and healthy, everyone. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.